The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. All the people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Finally, 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 we busted the darn pattern. That was easy. (laughs) Finally, the joy of the opening didn't turn into sadness and remorse. (laughs) Just a few hours later, with the Dow audibly gaining 237 points, S&P jumping 0.85%, and the Nasdaq at last doing something good. House of pleasure. Yeah, going up 8.2%. Sure, it might be a relief. Hey, you know what? In fact, it might just be a relief rally. But it, it got me thinking. If over the next few weeks we could somehow wrench all the optimism that I've seen for the last two weeks out of this market, you know what we could do? We could go back into bull mode. I have a theory that it could happen. But, of course, nothing's that simple. We can't just have something to hang our hats. Remember, last night I had all the hats and I couldn't find any hat that was worth hanging on to other than the hat of the communist Chinese. Who took my communist Chinese hat? Well, we'll use this one. Okay, this is the only one left. You need more things to hang your hat on. There are too many uncertainties right now, including the fact for the last 20 years, these next few weeks have been brutal for the stock market. We are entering a period that historically favors the bears over the bulls. But you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. You know what I'm going to do tonight? Rather than be real negative, I'm just going to lay out a recipe for how this market ultimately can get through these next couple of weeks, how it can keep going higher after they occur. I'm going to give you a 15-point checklist of what needs to go right before a rally can have real staying power. And unfortunately, I will stress this several times, you need all the 15 points. You know what? It's like Woodrow Wilson. Remember that guy? He was president. All right, first, we need some good news on the employment front. 
August not so hot non-farm payroll report has dogged us ever since we saw it, hasn't it? This is the single most important piece of data out there. If we can get a big number in a few weeks, then we conclude that the lack of expanded unemployment benefits is solving the labor shortage. Although, given that many states eliminated these benefits month ago, uh, months ago, this is not a sure thing. Remember, this is not a checklist for the squeamish. I'm not going to come out here and say, hey, we did that. No, I'm, I got some, these are hard, okay? This is like chemistry. Not like, uh, you know, exposition writing. Remember that? We talked in that chemistry class and you're going to get blown out. You're never going to get to graduate school. This is a little more like Chem 10. Second, inflation must moderate. Any business that's planning its budget for next year has to assume for once that maybe prices won't keep rising. Because right now, when you put pen to paper, they all do. At this rate, those businesses might not be able to afford to expand. Who wants to open up a second place to lose money if you're already losing money in the first place? If inflation moderates, something that could happen once we finish bouncing back from Hurricane Ida, well, that would be a huge positive. Third, uh, just in terms of just pure boredom, frankly, the chip shortages need to abate. I was going to have Lay's chips out here. That's how desperate I am. It's pathetic how hostage we are to the semiconductor industry in this country. Historically, the outsourced chip manufacturers prefer to focus on high-performance chips, like the ones designed by NVIDIA or AMD, because that's where the money is. But that's causing shortages in more downscale chips. We call them feature-full chips. And that go into those go. That's the buckaroo chips that go in to make your car work. All right, that's what drives autos. Unfortunately, the margins of these chips are so small uh, that until we get more manufacturing capacity, the shortages could continue. And unless people say, "Listen, you know what? We're going to pay a lot more and work with you closely," the, these semiconductor companies aren't going to play ball. No one is expecting this problem to go away. Most tech executives, including Cisco's Chuck Robbins, whom we will hear from later in the show, think that the chip shortage is far from over. That's why it would be such a huge positive to suddenly see some relief in this basic building block of electronics that, frankly, I have never seen in all my career. And I traded Intel in the 80s. I've never seen this happen before, and it's gone on too long. Fourth item on the checklist, and this is related, we need to fix our supply chain problems. Right now, getting something from point A to point B is a nightmare. We don't have enough truck drivers. We don't have enough workers or factories. And we can't get the packaging we need because the demand for paper and plastic is too great. Factories are still shutting down thanks to COVID outbreaks and lack of vaccination. Yes, yes, I do applaud all those people who think they have a right to get me sick, but I wish you'd go away. The rising cost of all of oil. The force majeure of paint ingredients, the endless wait for fixtures or washers or dryers. These shortages are freezing the economy. It needs to thaw if business is going to pick up or that darn bathroom that was started in February of this year gets finished before year end. Because I have had it with the contract. Fifth item, also related, the ports have to get better. I don't know how to do it. Are you a port guy? I'm not a port guy. But it's hard to believe there's so much loot coming from East Asia that's simply not getting here on time that you and I, if we got out there, we could do some things about it. I'm convinced about that. I'd like to go out there. I can get the trains to run on time. All right, what what will this do for the holiday, this port stuff? Well, yeah, take a guess. It's going to make them awful. Fix the ports. Number six. When earnings season kicks off, we need to hear that there's some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to having supply to meet demand. Everyone from home builders to farmers to heavy equipment don't have enough product to meet demand. They don't have enough to sell. It was a good issue at first, right? Oh, but the demand is fine. And no, it doesn't cut it anymore. Seven, 
Companies need to say that rising raw costs have finally run their course. Can you imagine a plastics company saying that? How about a paper company? How about a decking company? How about a plumber, an electrician? Someone else has been clubbed by these costs. Perhaps most of all, a supermarket or a retailer. It could happen, though, and that would really surprise people in a very positive way. That is one, by the way, that if it went up by itself, uh, you, you could have a lot of others carry with it. Eight, the stock market needs K through 12, as I called it when I was a K through 12 reporter. They need kindergarten through 12th grade schools to actually open and then stay open. Is that a good policy from a health perspective? Not my department. That said, I know it's good economic policy because K through 12 education is America's free daycare system. It will free up. It's probably in some states better that for that than teaching. Unfortunately, it will free up a huge number of parents to go back to work. You want to solve the labor shortage? As Secretary Gene Raimondo said on this show, Commerce Department, open the schools. Item nine, COVID hospitalizations need to decrease and decrease substantially, even if it gets cold. Okay, maybe that happens because employers are starting to require vaccinations. Maybe the Delta variant infects so many people that we finally have some semblance of herd immunity. Uh, Definitive decline in hospitalizations could send this market into overdrive. And it can't be episodic. We can't have like a bad weekend and the numbers come back again. Ten. We need air passenger uh, traffic to increase. The market goes down every time we hear about a decline in airline passengers. Every time. Now, that could change, though, as people feel more comfortable with flying and international travel opens up again once we are better vaccinated. Which brings us to number 11. Hotel occupancy numbers have to improve. These are easy to track and they signal many different kinds of spending, everything from shopping to restaurants. 12. We want rising interest rates caused by a stronger economy, not inflation. Don't Fear higher rates. Fear rates that rise when the economy is not doing great. 13. New IPOs, please slow down. We need fewer low-quality deals and more high-quality deals like Dutch Pro, the really cool coffee chain I learned to love when I visited my daughter in Oregon. We want IPOs that are liked and not just flipped. We want what a treat that would be. This one's really essential because all the IPOs and SPAC deals are flooding this market with excess supply that we do not need. It's like, it's like cesspool backup. You ever, you know, you can smell it. Item 14, more buybacks like Microsoft to clear up the excess stock supply and inspire confidence in corporate balance sheets. Finally, 15, positive things that could turn around. Well, how about Washington and Beijing? They need to get off the radar screen. Every time you read about these, it's just all bad. Tax hikes, especially higher capital gains rates. You can make the market tremble just by reading the front page. I don't think Biden has the votes to make any truly controversial changes in tax code. That doesn't stop this stuff from freaking us out. Before they think about raising taxes, they should do something useful like raising the debt ceiling. Beijing, come on, Chairman Mao. I mean, President Xi, could you just stop it with the common prosperity for a couple of weeks? Your savage attack on Macau casinos has caused us to lose all appetite for any of your securities. And our markets are riddled with them. Now, there's one more ingredient to getting the back, bull back on track. More negativity. A relief rally like today, when we broke a high-profile Nasdaq losing streak, will attract too many buyers. But declines don't truly stop until the buyers are exhausted, not just the sellers. Remember, today's move was once again led by energy, which is the worst possible leader. Fortunately, tech moved higher, too. That's good news. I just don't want to see energy keep going up. Bottom line, we don't just need a handful of these positives before I can start feeling better about the situation. We need almost all of them. If we get them, the market will soar. But if we don't, then the next few weeks could be as brutal as advertised. You know what? what? Let's start with Mark in South Carolina. Mark! Hey there, Dr. Kramer. Oh, man, I didn't even know I had that degree, but I'll take it. Shall I operate now? What's up? I'm calling from Charleston. And um, it's pretty there. You had you had mentioned a stock back in the spring that was a good story and maybe a play on energy and solar. 
And there was a follow-up session that you did on uh, solar with three with two other stocks. Right. right. And I I um, purchased some Enphase EMPH, and it has been going down ever since. Well, it's and only I've just had 11%, but look, solar's a little weak. We heard from Mike Worth. We're going to hear uh, him talk later today. Solar's been a little weak. Why? Because, well, there's just other parts. It's, it's under a lot of pressure. The prices are coming down. But I like Enphase. It's the best of the group. Okay, listen. Listen, everybody, including Mark from South Carolina. Why not? We need pretty much all these pauses before I can start feeling better about this market situation. If we get them all, the market could soar. If not, well, let's just say we're going to keep getting what we did. A nice rally today. Everybody jumps in, and then we start selling again on Mad Money tonight. From capturing carbon to capturing Wall Street's attention, Chevron has its sights set on more than just oil. I'm learning about the company's plans for sustainable future with the CEO. Now, it's a carbon company going carbon-free. Why don't you stay tuned? Then jumping over 7% today, Weber proved in this morning's report that grilling is red hot. So could the outdoor cooking kingpin continue to scorch the competition? I'm talking to the company's top brass. And fresh over the analyst day, I'm getting the latest on the connected world with the head of Cisco. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
What's it mean when one of the largest oil companies in the world starts getting aggressive about reducing its carbon footprint? Yesterday, Chevron held its, quote, energy transition spotlight, end quote, event, where they unveiled a bunch of plans to reduce emissions, including a commitment to invest $10 billion on lower carbon projects through 2028. That's a very big boost from what they were looking for not that long ago. So is it real or is it merely window dressing? Earlier today, we spoke to Mike Worth, the chairman and CEO of Chevron, at the New York Stock Exchange. I want you to take a look and make up your mind for yourself. Mike, you've gone from being someone who was committed to becoming more of an energy transition person to, I think, the leader in our country. What drives this gigantic initiative? Well, we had an investor day yesterday. We talked about a winning combination for shareholders. It's about shareholder value. We've got a high return, lower carbon, traditional business that meets today's energy needs, which are large. And we've tripled our capital commitment to over $10 billion to uh, faster growing, profitable, lower carbon businesses that leverage our strengths. So we announced ambitious uh, growth targets in renewable fuels, in hydrogen, in carbon capture and storage, things where we can create competitive advantage and that work in sectors of the economy that aren't easily electrified. And so it's a chance for us to solve problems for customers, reduce emissions, and create value for shareholders. I was concerned when I saw it. I've been recommending your stock for some time. Why? Because you, 12 out of 14 years, will be able to buy back stock and your dividend is rock solid. And what happens? Well, J.P. Morgan comes and goes buy to hold. Why? Because you may be spending too much money on making this transition. What do you say to something like that? Well, I can't look at every uh, analyst uh, recommendation. Come on, Mike. That was a downgrade for doing the right thing. We, we are doing the right thing, Jim. And what, what we did, we're, we're lowering uh, carbon and growing value. So we're going to reduce emissions by the end of this decade, 30 million tons per year, which is equivalent to about 18% of New York State's annual emissions. These low-carbon businesses will grow a billion dollars in operating cash flow by the end of the decade. And we reiterated, without change, even as we've upped our capital spending, our guidance to $25 billion in cash generation between 21 and 25, above our capital spending and our dividend payments. So we have a strong cash-generating core business that allows us to invest in the future, even as we're taking care of shareholders today and taking care of our traditional business. But what happens, Mike, if we get a situation uh, like in Europe or Canada where uh, they have to commit to net zero targets that I think really do make their dividends in jeopardy? Well, everybody's trying to reduce the carbon emissions from their portfolio. Uh, Different companies are approaching it differently. Different countries are approaching it differently. I think everybody's got to do what they think is the right thing for their shareholders, for their citizens. That's certainly what we're doing, and we believe we can be a leader and part of creating a lower carbon future, a more diverse energy system, and grow value for shareholders. Now, you did have a uh, challenge, uh, a proxy challenge, that you uh, did not necessarily advise people to do, which talked about the need to do more about this topic. Uh, shareholders like that, that, or like Engine One and Exxon, are, how much are they driving this? Well, we're in a different place than uh, a lot of other companies in our industry. We've got a track record of disciplined capital allocation in our traditional business, in mergers and acquisitions, and we intend to apply that in our new energies business as well. We've got a track record of generating really strong cash flow. We've increased our dividend payout 34 consecutive years. We're the only one of the international oil companies whose dividend is higher today than it was when COVID hit. 
And we've bought shares back 14 out of the last 18 years now. And we've got a straightforward strategy to deliver higher returns and sustain them in a lower carbon future. That's what we talk to shareholders about. Uh, we listen to their feedback, and, uh, and we're, we're intent to uh, create value and uh, create good for society. All right, so what happens if I say, you know what? I want to be able to take that fantastic dividend that you pay, and I'm going to go plant millions of trees with it. Uh, why do I care what you do? I don't, shouldn't I care more about what I can do with the dividend? Well, I think that's actually a really good point, Jim. And one of the things we've chosen not to go into is wind and solar. Uh, these are, these are uh, technologies that are relatively mature. Uh, there is plenty of capital that's available. The returns in wind and solar are, are actually being bid down. And we've uh, concluded that uh, management at our company can't create value for shareholders by going into wind and solar. We'd rather dividend it back to our shareholders and let them plant trees, go invest in a, in a wind and solar developer, and have the, the right to do that with a growing dividend that comes out of our company. Well, we've been big believers on that money that green hydrogen will ultimately be the way to go. I want to stress the word ultimately because right now it's boutique. But you've committed to it. And it is the toughest. A lot of people feel that you need the government to get involved to be able to get the cost of, the, of electricity down. Can it really work? I mean, you've got a major, major initiative in California. Well, we've got a big initiative in California. We also recently announced uh, the entry into a project in Utah that is one of the world's first utility-scale green hydrogen projects with uh, Mitsubishi and Magnum. And this will take renewable uh, power, uh, use an electrolyzer to create hydrogen that will be stored in salt caverns to then be uh, dispatchable for power into California. Uh, it's a project that over time we can develop in multiple phases and move uh, hydrogen into other markets and other uses. So other power markets, transportation markets. Uh, so it's a very exciting project. It's big. I think it's going to be impactful and, uh, and we'll be back to talk to you about it. So oh, I'm a believer so. that green hydrogen is going to have a big role. Uh, I wish I could tell you all the doubters. And they don't know as much as you. And I think that's very telling. I know that you guys are scientists. I've always felt that way about you. Same thing, uh, renewable natural gas. Very important. Renewable natural gas. Uh, one of the best things that we can do for the environment. Because what we're doing now is we're capturing methane that currently is unabated as emissions into the atmosphere. Right now we're working with, uh, with dairy farms, uh, looking at landfill and other sources. And so you actually capture gas that otherwise goes into the atmosphere. Methane's a potent greenhouse gas. Treat it, get it up to pipeline specifications, and move it into the system to displace uh, traditional natural gas. So good economics for that in, uh, in the markets that we're in and a very strong environmental benefit. You are an oil man. That's why I, one of the reasons I like Chevron. You have been forced to be a different kind of man. Uh, how have you been handling it? Because this takes a tremendous amount of technology. People can't flick it. This is not an iPhone, okay? This is a multi-year, gigantic initiative that you probably did not dream of when you first started Chevron. It, it is a different energy business than I joined uh, nearly 40 years ago. What we're doing with our strategy is focusing on our capabilities, our assets, and our customer relationships to move into these new businesses. So we're a leader in subsurface technology. That's essential for carbon capture and storage. Uh, we're taking our refineries and reconfiguring them now to run traditional or renewable feedstocks to create traditional or renewable products. So things like sustainable aviation fuel, renewable diesel fuel. And in California, we're investing in a power plant that will be a negative energy 
power plant, ne- negative carbon power plant. We're going to generate electricity uh, from agricultural waste that's typically burned. We're going to capture the emissions, generate power, and store the CO2 underground. So these things leverage the talents of our organization. They leverage the assets we have. They leverage value chains and customers. We're working with Amazon, Caterpillar, the airlines, to help them solve their uh, challenges and, and meet their pledges uh, for a lower carbon future. So we're leveraging uh, our great strengths uh, into these trends that are changing. Well, I, I've got Mike Worth there. I've got, I can't resist. Oil, $72 tax, to West Texas. It's huge demand right now. Will the Saudis come in, flood the market, or is this the new world? And how much of this higher price goes to these initiatives? Well, I think the, uh, you know, the difference today versus a year, year and a half ago is we've seen OPEC and OPEC Plus uh, with a plan that they've stuck to. And so as, as markets have recovered, as demand has come back from the depths of, uh, of the lockdowns, uh, we've seen OPEC, uh, who had, took a lot of production off the market, bring it back in a very consistent way. They've telegraphed their plan. They've stayed with their plan. Despite sometimes, uh, I think, some differences of opinion, they've largely stuck with the plan and, and really been um, uh, cognizant of the fact that market stability is important. And so we've seen prices in a relatively uh, stable band, and I would expect that to continue. Well, I've got to tell you, it's good for Chevron, good for the shareholders. I care tremendously about your capital allocation and dividend, but you have moved $3 billion to $10 billion, a very short period of time, and I'm sure much more. Chairman and CEO of Chevron, Mike Worth. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Jim, great to be here. Coming up, a sit-down with chills, thrills, and grills. Kramer fires up a must-see interview with Weber next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. This morning, we got results from Weber. Yep, you're looking at my apron. That's the grill maker. And this was its first earnings report as a publicly traded company. While the numbers are basically in line, Madden gave you a strong outlook for the future. In response, the stock surged more than 7% today, in part because it had come down significantly going into the quarter as part of a big trend of these IPOs that just withering. Now, could this mark the beginning of a larger rally back? Let's check in with Chris Scherzinger. Now, Chris is the CEO of Weber, and we got to get a better sense of, of what's happened with the quarter and where it is going. Chris, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, it's so great to see you again. All right, Chris, I got to tell you, I was concerned because a lot of people say, wait a second, this whole Weber phenomena and others in this business, that was because we had COVID. 
Now we're coming out of COVID and people aren't barbecuing anymore. It looks like it's the opposite that's occurring. Well, I, you know, you've talked about this week. This has been a very September-y September. So I don't worry too much about the market uh, in the short term. But what we're really excited about today is we had a really fantastic quarter for our third quarter. We grew our top line sales 19 percent. Uh, for the April through June period. And that's coming off of a quarter of the prior year that was up 41%. And so you're, you're seeing a, uh, a really massive year-on-year growth. And, and now we're, we're in a COVID quarter over a COVID quarter. And so we've been able to show that sustained growth year over year. Um, and that's really, that's really been uh, rewarding for our team to see our results in market. And it's coming from a lot of what we're doing in the marketplace. Now, uh, let's talk about that because you're not standing still. I happen to be having the Weber Connect Smart Grilling Hub in my hand. Will this make me into a better cook and not burn things as people accuse me of doing over the Labor Day weekend? I can tell you that it will with high confidence, Jim. I can, I can also tell you it's 72 degrees in the studio right here where I am. Uh, the Weber Connect Hub will absolutely give you better grilling results. And it's a little bit like Waze for navigating your car. This is Waze for navigating your grill. So we give you real-time feedback that comes from our cloud-based algorithms. All the expertise that we've built up in 70 years at Weber comes into your cook on your patio and gives you real-time feedback so you know exactly when to flip the steak exactly when to pull it off, how long to rest it, and then you have a really happy f- group of friends and family around yourself. Well, speak of a uh, group of friends and family, uh, we have a team in New York, the, actually we have two of them, the Giants, and they're not really liked, but people found out that they love the tailgate. I have never seen more tailgating by people who don't even have tickets. Has there been a renaissance of what I regard as the get-together before the football game? Well, Weber's a brand that's built on getting together around the grill, and we just launched a new grill this year called the Weber Traveler. It's off to an absolute rock star start. Um, it's really changing the outdoor grilling experience. It's perfect for tailgating, perfect for camping. You could think of it as a, a post-pandemic kind of play because it's all about people coming back to parking lots outside of, city, outside of stadiums or going to campsites and getting together with groups, and it cooks like, the, you know, like, a, like a Weber. You know, It cooks really amazing food, but it's, it's a game changer in terms of portability and uh, what you know how it changes your tailgate so we're really excited about that the reviews online are stellar we're barely keeping up with the demand and that should be a big a big play for the fall here i want to hear that because when we did a piece on traeger which i have to admit is a fine product different kind of style people were saying to me jim it's going to be zero sum i said it's the opposite i think the category is caught on fire room for everybody Look, the macro trends favor the category for sure. And uh, if you think about there's a wave of millennials who are coming, 40 million uh, just in the U.S. alone. And we think about things globally because we do half of our business outside of the U.S., which is really unique to Weber. But we, when you think about things uh, relative to millennials, there are 40 million millennials who are going to turn 35 in the next 10 years. That's the baby boomer size wave of new people coming into the grilling market. 35 is typically when people are buying their first house, they're settling down, they're starting a family, their life is focused around backyard living, and that is exactly where Weber has shined for so many decades. And so uh, we think it's a really great tailwind for the category. You know, you talked about just yesterday and I think the day before around the new hybrid work from home. Yes. You know, people aren't going to go back to the office five days a week, every day, forever. And even if you add a Friday at home to the mix, you've now increased your weeknights for grilling by 50% versus where we were pre-pandemic. And so there's a lot of runway for the whole category. Weber's a really 
really unique story in that category because we play not just in one fuel set, we play in all the fuel sets. We play in gas, charcoal, pellet, electric, smokers, uh, portables, as I talked about before. And we don't play just in the U.S., we play all around the world. So we had tremendous results in, in Europe. We drove in the quarter, we drove uh, 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 35% growth in Asia Pacific. We drove 25% growth year on year. Both of those are lapping last year's third quarter in a COVID environment. So we're showing that sustained growth year on year. And I think you're right. You're going to see a total addressable market that's globally uh, driven by, by markets outside of the U.S., but there's a ton of runway for everyone in the category. Right, one last question. Uh, one person, when I was singing your praises, because I said, oh, good, they did a great number. I've been worried about a lot of these IPOs. They, some of them can be one and done. Some of them may actually just be a name and not a product. But uh, you do have, do have some debt on the balance sheet, and I'm hoping that that can come down after this quarter. Is that a possibility? Well, Weber is a business that uh, – that converts sales into earnings. You know, one of the things you'll notice about our quarterly results that's different than a lot of other companies is we actually turned our revenue growth into gross profit margin growth and EBITDA growth. And so uh, we gener- because of that, we generate strong cash flow. And this is a business that with the cash flow that is generated quarter over quarter, year over year, we feel really good about our ability to position ourselves from a capital structure standpoint to be well positioned for future opportunities that arise. And, you know, we, we, we've invested in our business. We've invested in June. I know you have the June oven there, mm-hmm. uh, not too far from you. That's been a great acquisition for us. Uh, that, that June oven product was just named America by America's Test Kitchen, the, bar, the best smart oven on the market. All those June engineers are Weber engineers now. And so we've got a fantastic team of inventors. We invested in a plant in Poland. When you think about the challenges from a supply chain and operation standpoint, the commodity headwinds, the supply chain headwinds that everyone in consumer goods is dealing with right now, we've, just, we've been investing in big initiatives like this plant in Poland that will completely change our cost structure relative to and our, and our consumer service times relative to our go-to-market model. Those kinds of investments just churn more and more cash out in the future. And so that's going to take care of the debt. And that's okay. going to also drive uh, potentially um, all kinds of new growth opportunities for all us right. as well. Well, look, Chris, I was just so thrilled. Good numbers, good new products. Everything's coming together. And I want these new IPOs to look like you, which is you have an accessible name, a good product. It's a good, good thing to own and a good stock to own. Chris, thank you so much for coming back on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it very much. Right, that's Chris, Chris Scherzinger. And I've got to tell you, Weber is an accessible name, an accessible product. This is the kind of IPO I want you to go to. Not some crazy Internet thing that is another way to be able to collect data, analyze it, and then throw it away. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, lights, camera, office? Can Cisco's video conferencing edge make you and your portfolio look good? Kramer's got the CEO next. Today, Cisco held its investor day where management unveiled some really bullish long-term sales targets and talked about the megatrend supporting its business. Last month, the company reported an excellent quarter. Stock jumped to a 20-year high in response. But since then, it's pulled back a couple of bucks. But after what we heard today, I would not be surprised if this thing has a lot more room to run. It's a lot cheaper and faster going than people realize. Don't take it from me, though. Let's dig deeper with Chuck Robbins. He's the chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems and also, by the way, a beleaguered Atlanta Falcons fan who owes me big after the Philadelphia Eagles laid his team to waste this weekend. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Mad Money. <laughs> 
Well, you just had to open with that, did you, Jim? Well, yeah, how it could was, I uh, not? It was a, I, I know, hey, just let's get this out of the way, okay? Let me just, uh, let me just tell you how much, you know, uh, congratulations on the win. Your I, team played really well. That and is embarrassing. So I'm very embarrassed, but I, you I'm going to sign this and send it to you. Well, you do that. You That's a very embarrassing. I think that I can... I think I look, you don't have to sign. I already have a ball signed by him and you didn't do that well. But anyway, look, let's get right to it because you're better than your Falcons. All right. You did something that I was hoping you were going to do, which is you guided up in very sizable ways for something after the last quarter. People didn't seem to realize it. But, you know, you're going to you're growing uh, five to seven percent revenue uh, compound annual growth rate. And that is really, really a big step up from when we heard you last. Well, Jim, you know, what we've been doing over the last four, five, six years is really making this transition to, you know, this software model. And today we shared the metrics and showed what we've done and basically the fact that we've done exactly what we said we were going to do. And we also have so many tailwinds and positive transitions that are happening right now, whether it's, you know, 5G or it's hybrid work or hybrid cloud or the 400 gig transition and and the success that we're now seeing in the web scale, you know, the cloud providers. So there's a lot of tailwinds, and candidly, the the secure, I mean, the software that we have built up over the last few years, and the amount of that that we're now pulling off our balance sheet gives us much greater visibility, which was one of the big objectives we had when we started this transition. So uh, I'm proud of what our team's accomplished, and we feel really good about our future. All right. Now, I think there'll be some people who are confused, and I know the stock jumped up when it sold those targets, but then came back down when you really kind of talked about your margins. And people were saying, well, wait a second. If it's a software company, well, that has high margins. What is what is Chuck doing? He's got me thinking all good about orders, but not good about profits. Well, Jim, we guided our revenue at five to seven and we guided EPS at five to seven. And when we talked about the factors driving that, number one is we want to invest in so many of these areas. We've proven what we can do when we do invest. If you if you take the web scale space five years ago, we didn't even play there. And now, last quarter, it grew 160%, and it's 30% of our service provider segment. So when we invest where we see opportunity, we think we can actually drive our top line, which is what we want to do. That coupled with, you know, for the foreseeable future, we are going to have pressure in our supply chain costs and the COGS costs that we have. And so the combination of those two things, we thought it was prudent to guide them in, in line. And uh, but we are going to be investing for growth. And that's what our teams are excited about. Well, look, if you could tell me that we will not be talking about chip shortages a year and a half from now, I can say, you know what? I think that next year is going to be good year and the year after is going to be good. When will that no longer be part of the lexicon? Well, you know, Jim, it's not just chips right now. It's it's a really complex situation. We have substrate issues, power supply issues, chip issues, memory issues. (sighs) We got labor issues. And uh, so. Right now, we don't see it improving at all, at least until, you know, the February through July time period next year. Uh, and that's not a given. So we're continuing to work hard. Our, our supply chain team is rated number one in the world by Gartner, not in the industry, but in the world. And so we're doing everything we can to meet our customers' needs, which is the most important thing that we, we see. But we're definitely revenue constrained right now because of the supply issues that we're feeling and the component shortages. You know, if it did, if it weren't like that, the component shortages, I think we would be talking about the page from your excellent investor deck, software transformation progress in billions of dollars. I don't want to call you a hardware company. The growth in subscription software, which is my absolute favorite part of business, is kind of extraordinary, Chuck. Well, when I took over as CEO, Jim, we had around $3.4 billion in subscription software, and we exited last fiscal year at close, right around $12 billion. 
So the teams have done an amazing job. You know, 80%, almost 80% of our software is now subscription, which is just, uh, you know, phenomenal. And that's actually what's given us the predictability and the visibility that led us on our last earnings call to give annual guidance, if you recall, for the first time ever. And then so much of the visibility we have to that software and those renewals is what really helped us deliver on the uh, revenue guide that we gave today. So it's been a lot of hard work. The team's done a great job, and it's now showing up in the results. All right. Now, we had Nikesh Aurora on the other day who predicted the hybrid, uh, re- the hybrid way that people work, and it turned out to be fantastic for Palo Alto. Uh, I actually expected by this point to see out west. I thought that everybody would be brought back, and I want campus. I want the campus to do well. The campus does well. Cisco does extraordinarily well. Is this hybrid model uh, a hindrance to growth for you? No, it's actually, a, it's, it's actually accelerating our growth. Hybrid work is going to accelerate all aspects of technology investment. Our customers are upgrading and modernizing their infrastructure. Our campus switching demand last quarter was as high as we've seen it in decades. Uh, the wireless, the Wi-Fi 6 transition that we see happening, and now they're having to deal with this distributed workforce, distributed applications, distributed data, which is just more and more connectivity, intelligent networking, and more subscriptions that we'll sell to help our customers actually get this adaptable model that they need. That's the issue with these variants. Not only do they need to build a, a hybrid work model, but it can't be static. They have to be ready to adapt and flex depending on what's happening in their offices versus people going home again. And I I think that's going to create a very dynamic opportunity for us in the future. Well, I know you hit record 8 billion monthly calls on WebEx. Uh, Taking share, it's not going away. I mean, we are all on it. We're on it, and we frankly, maybe we don't want to be, but it's the way we save money, the travel costs are lower, and the quality's higher, and the security's the best. Can it keep growing? I think so. You know, our strategy really is to bring an integrated solution to our customers. It's not just about the meetings platform, right? It's about the integration with contact center, the integration with our calling platforms, and the devices that we have. You know, we we actually uh, had a lot of customer examples today of where we see customers now buying into conference room video systems because they need to be prepared for when their employees come back. Meetings are going to be hybrid. And every conference room needs to be outfitted with high-definition video. So it's a combination of all those things that we think is leading customers to make longer-term architectural decisions around hybrid work. Okay. It's not just about meetings. Well, look, I got to tell you, I, thought, I was looking for uh, numbers that were not as strong as what you gave because of what uh, a downgrade that you got last week that I now say, you know what, that guy was probably wrong. You're, you're right. Chuck Robbins, he's chairman and CEO of Cisco, by the way, owned by my travel trust and a very inexpensive technology stock, given the transformation that is going on there. Chuck, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Tired of hearing that everything's too expensive? Buy Cisco. Mad Money's back in. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, have the lightning round because we'll have to start with Lance in Minnesota. Lance. Hey, Jim, longtime listener. Hey, I want to talk about NIO. NIO. What's your take on the short pass, term? Pass, pass, hard pass. Going elsewhere. We're not fooling around anymore. Larry in Florida. Larry. Hey, Jim. Uh, big booyah from the championship city of Tampa Bay. Rub it in. What's going on? 
Yeah, my question's on Canopy Growth, symbol CGC. You like Canopy Growth? Just go by Constellation. I don't want the exposure to the rest of the stuff. I need an integrated company. I'm going to, to Joe. No, Matt in Indiana. Matt. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my question is regarding a local utility company called Knife Source, ticker NI. They have now, a and there's a stock I want to own for everyone. Fantastic manager. Bye, bye, bye. Joe in Illinois. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Joe Marzano, Chicago. Stock is Coupang. Oh, man. You know what? I actually, you know, it's the largest deal. I've been studying the company for a while now. Given the fact that it's frankly just does nothing but go down, I think that you can start a position here and no more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. About 40 years ago, as a young reporter, I found myself covering crime in some East Texas backwater. While I was frantically trying to find a bite somewhere, I stumbled across a used car dealer that was like something out of an old movie. The lot was filled with clunkers and budding lemons. But the best part was the name of the joint, Caveat Emptor Cars. Now, I couldn't resist, so I put on my Best fake accent. Yeah, southern accent. East Texas. Very difficult to do. Went into the dealership and asked the first salesman I came across why his place had such a foreboding name. He laughed and he said, why not? Cavi Emptor means buyer beware. I told him that that didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence. Then he said something that I never really understood until I spoke to SEC Chairman Gary Gunzel this morning on Squawk on the Street. He said, we're not in the confidence business. You know what? Neither are the great financial engineers of our time. But for them, despite their East Texas used car dealer attitude, it's not enough to just say caveat emptor. We can't let them do that because that's not how we're supposed to do things in America, at least not since FDR established the Securities and Exchange Commission in 1934. That was the moment our markets went from caveat emptor rules to actual rules, where we have regulations that force companies to disclose all the relevant facts so you then don't end up buying a lemon with no warning. We got rid of caveat emptor. But it's been more than 80 years since then, and there's been a lot of pushback against those regulations of late. These days, we have cryptocurrency promoters who claim they're doing the Lord's work, trying to protect your money from rampant inflation. You know what? I actually like crypto, but that's ridiculous. We have app-based brokers who can give you commission-free trading without really explaining how there's no such thing as a free lunch because they make their money by selling your order flow to third parties. Oh, it's not terrible, but it's something you ought to know. We have SPAC executives who can make up any kind of long-term projections they want. And so long as they aren't outright fraud, it feels like anything goes. We even have Chinese companies with stocks that, when, when sold here, are meaningless abstractions. Because these outfits don't need to obey the same disclosure requirements as their American counterparts. Sometimes you're not even buying shares in the real company. All these are caveat emptor enterprises. Against this array of financial engineering stands the SEC. Under Gary Gensler, perhaps the most sophisticated SEC chairman of our era, he knows that caveat emptor is not supposed to be the law of the land, for heaven's sake, even though disclosure, like sunlight, may be the best disinfectant. Gensler also recognizes that disclosure is not enough when there are so many shady operators trying to take advantage of you. 
You need new regulations and stronger enforcement. He is going to give us them, even if it means taming the most aggressive of pieces of paper that he thinks merit the designation securities. Woo. Can you imagine people being scared of having something they sell being designated security? That's shameful. For example, Gensler doesn't favor endless financial engineering as you get with crypto. When we don't know what actual assets, what kinds of instruments support key cryptocurrencies called stable coins, the crypto equivalent of money market funds. Are they really? He called crypto the Wild West, meaning it's rife with crime and corruption. The fact that Bitcoin's up more than 300% over the past year does not change that. He doesn't seem to think it's enough to have the best free brokerage app if it encourages reckless trading, especially with these services are free in name only with the true costs effectively hidden from the public. Heck, when I listen to Gensler, you know what I thought? I feel like DraftKings offers you a better deal with their securities because at least DraftKings, you can't lose more money to put up as they won't let you gamble on credit. Maybe margin rates need to come up with some serious disclaimers that explain how much you can lose if you borrow money. Maybe we need Traders Anonymous. Oh, I wish I were kidding. Maybe all the Chinese IPOs that don't follow the rules, the American disclosure rules, should simply be banned. And hey, you could have saved yourself a lot of agony if these SPAC mergers had to follow the same rules as traditional IPOs, where executives go to prison if they try to feed you some absurdly rosy projections that they know aren't true. As I've said many times, Gary Gensler has a full plate and a lot of eating cut out for him. But he knows that we can't sacrifice our integrity or your nest egg on the order of mindless innovation that takes us back to the pre-SEC days. We don't want to go back to caveat emptor markets because they inspire no confidence whatsoever. We want strong, deep markets where you can make mistakes, but you can't be obliterated by the new instruments and they're often greedy and arrogant promoters. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.